No one ever can or will love you like Jesus loves you. Amen. He is faithful. He is patient. He is compassionate. He knows you. He loves you. And he's reaching out to you today in his love. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We're going to go through the first 18 verses this morning. In our culture, food and fellowship are very closely related. And in the first century, it was even more so. Peter's vision of clean and unclean food that God uses to tell Peter, do not call unclean what I've called clean. And Peter begins to realize, oh, he's talking about the Gentiles and associating with the Gentiles and going to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and as God is beginning to reveal all of this to the church, that there is one body made up of Jews and Gentiles and there's not to be those distinctions. It's interesting that God would use food as that illustration of clean and unclean because it relates to the fellowship between cultures. You see, there was... And there was a mistaken understanding by the Gentiles that just like eating unclean food made you ceremonially unclean, so associating with the Gentiles made you unclean. And it was not according to the Old Testament scripture. That was according to their interpretation of the scripture and their tradition. God here in these passages we've been looking at in chapters 10 and now 11 is not only declaring the dietary law uh, to be done, but he is declaring all people savable. All believers are one, regardless of nationality, culture, or status. There are some lessons that Peter is learning that I believe we who are saved can learn. And so we're going to look at four lessons today. Look with me beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with them, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. I want you to see something. God calls us as Christians sometimes to do hard things so the first admonition the first lesson that we need to learn is this challenge obey god when he calls you to do hard things for the sake of the gospel so let's look at verses 4 to 14 as peter explains this is what god called me to do in verse 4, Peter rehearsed the matter before from the beginning, expounded it by order to them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. And upon which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. For nothing uncommon common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. 
And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come to the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how that he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved." So this is what Peter is relating to these brethren. Obey God when it's hard for you to do things for the sake of the gospel. It was hard for Peter to go against his cultural upbringing. That's why when this vision of the sheep comes down and there are clean and unclean animals mixed in there and God says to him, Peter, rise, kill and eat. He says, no way, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever entered into this mouth. That's why that had to be happened three times in that vision. Because it was hard for Peter to go against his cultural upbringing. It was also hard for Peter to change his mindset concerning the Gentiles back in Acts chapter 10 and verse 20. And therefore, get thee down and go with them. And I'm, and I'm highlighting these next two words. Nothing doubting. Okay? Not, doubting nothing. For I have sent them in Acts chapter 11 and verse 2. They that were of the circumcision contended with him. Notice that word contended. And then Acts 11 and verse 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. So the words doubting nothing, nothing doubting, and contended are the same word in the Greek. And it literally means to judge, to separate, to make a distinction, to contend with. Okay? So Peter is making it clear that his extension of the gospel to the Gentiles was not some idea of his own to expand the church. This was hard for him culturally. It was hard for him. He's telling them, look, it was hard for me to change my mindset towards the Gentiles. I believe even as he's sharing this with them, though he is accepting what God was saying and submitting to God's will, it was still hard for him. Folks, sometimes when, when God calls us to, for the sake of the gospel, do hard things, and it's a struggle with us because of our cultural upbringing uh, concerning a certain mindset, we under, God is so patient, he understands that we are struggling, that that is not going to be an, an immediate change. But there should be an immediate response of submission and then a reliance upon God in his grace to help us through that change. It was hard for Peter to obey, knowing that he was going to be misunderstood by his brethren. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe you've made a purchase and then you realize, oh man, I'm going to have to explain this one to my spouse, right? And, uh, or maybe kids, there, there's some situation and you know, oh man, I'm going to, I know my parents are going to ask me about this and I'm going to have to explain this situation to my parents, right? Or maybe to a boss or a supervisor, why did you do it this way? And you know, oh man, I'm going to have to give an answer. Don't you think Peter was thinking that same thing? Here he is. He's obeying God. The spirit told him to go. He has six brethren with him that are witnesses. They go to Cornelius, this Gentile, a God-fearer, but not yet a Jewish proselyte. And they proclaim the gospel. And obviously, I mean, before Peter's done preaching, they put their faith in Christ and the spirit of God indwelled them. And it was obvious because of the outward manifestation. They were speaking in languages unknown to them, glorifying God as obvious evidence to 
to Peter and to his Jewish Christian brethren that the Spirit of God was upon the Gentiles and the Spirit of God only comes upon and into, to indwell born-again believers who place their faith in Christ. But Peter, I think, is, is understanding, oh man, I'm going to have to give an answer and they're not going to understand. And sometimes it's really difficult for us for the sake of the gospel. And I'm not talking about doing something that's unethical or something that it would bring your testimony into question in a sense of am I violating some biblical principle. But I am talking about not being afraid of what people think to where it hinders us from obeying the great commission to share the gospel. We should not let the fear of possibly being misunderstood and judged hinder us because someday, Romans 14, 12, we're going to give an account personally, one-on-one, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We'll give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price and who suffered and who rose again from the dead, who reached out in grace to us, whose Holy Spirit spoke to us and revealed the truth and love of Christ to us. And we've responded and been saved to him. We will give an account for what we did with his gospel and the opportunities that he laid in our path and the opportunities that he opened up and the relationships that he gave us. And we are going to give an account for the times when we allow the fear of man to be a snare to us. And Peter could have let the fear of man be a snare to him. As a matter of fact, Peter didn't get this completely right because Paul writes later on and says, hey, listen, when some of the Gentile brothers came to Jerusalem, Peter withdrew himself and he said, I had to withstand him to the face. He said, I had to lovingly, but in a very uh, serious manner, I had to confront Peter that he was setting a wrong example and sinning against the church by withdrawing from some of the Gentile brethren. So understand that though Peter was learning this lesson, he's proclaiming this to the church and God gets the glory that Peter still didn't have this exactly right later on. It was still a struggle of growth. And aren't you thankful how patient God is with us? But the point is that Peter still had a tender heart towards the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He was still obedient. God was still changing him. He was still tender, wanting the will of God even though it was hard for him for the sake of the gospel to go against his cultural upbringing, to change his mindset concerning the Gentiles, knowing he was going to be misunderstood by his brethren. And, you know, I think it also was hard for Peter to give a humble, gracious answer to these. I mean, how do you, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit told him, go with these men. He goes in and he speaks with Cornelius and I believe he's in a sense is getting excited about preaching the gospel. He proclaims the gospel. And you know, wouldn't it be, I would have loved to preach a week of evangelistic meetings where every unsaved person that was in that auditorium when I preached the gospel came forward at the invitation and trusted Christ as Savior. Don't you think that'd be exciting? And don't you think Peter was excited that every one of those people that Cornelius had gathered to hear the gospel trusted Christ? And it was obvious manifestation. There was an absolute assurance that those believers had trusted, these Gentiles had trusted Christ. And he could have pulled his apostle, hey, I'm an apostle. Matter of fact, I was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Don't pull that on me, I'm an apostle. (laughs) He didn't do that, did he? He gave a humble, gracious answer. Look back in verse 4. The Bible says that he rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. In precise detail, he was careful. He explained it in order. The Bible says in verse 1 that they had heard that the Gentiles had received the gospel. 
And so they heard it probably in bits and pieces. And a lot of times when you get new secondhand like that, there's sometimes some speculation kind of gets mixed into that. And I believe that's probably what had happened. There was a little bit of misunderstanding. Uh, There was a little bit of speculation mixed in with that. And so rather than in bits and pieces and all disjunct, Peter, in order from the beginning, tells them this is the work of God. And he testifies of the work of God. Let me encourage you as a believer to be very careful about responding to secondhand information or hearsay. Let's be very careful. Do not every one of us appreciate when somebody gives us the benefit of the doubt? And should not we extend that courtesy to others? We should not think evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ in their testimony. And if we have reason to believe that they have violated biblical principles, then the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, we have the responsibility to lovingly and privately go to them and confront them to help them to be restored or at least to search out the matter and let them know what's come to our attention so that either they can share with us as Peter is sharing here. And this was all completely legitimate. This was all of God. And Peter gives this explanation. And by the way, that the, 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 the Jerusalem church and those of the circumcision really are to be commended because they listened to Peter and what he had to say. But Peter doesn't pull his apostleship card. He has six Jewish brethren. Now we see the the wisdom of him taking these six Jewish Christian brethren with him as witnesses. But he gives a humble, by-order answer. Proverbs 51 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. We're often tempted to say, You call me a liar? You don't trust me? Why? You know, and, and, and begin to make it a personal and kind of an affront and be offended. No, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Look at, I had them underlined, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These ought to be characterized by a person being led and controlled by the Spirit of God. So that even when we are confronted, we respond with this same humility, even as Peter did. Number two, not only, number one, are we to obey God when he calls us to do hard things for the sake of the gospel, but number two, expect opposition when you obey God. These who were challenging Peter about this and really making accusation towards him were not unbelievers, They were not Pharisees or Sadducees. They were Christian brothers. Now there's some speculation who were they of the circumcision. It certainly could mean those who were Jews or by it could be uh, a little less general. Those who were Hebraic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews with more of a Greek cultural background that uh, were from other regions within Jewish settlements and different cities scattered throughout the Roman Empire would have had a little bit different mindset about that. But those who were within the physical nation of Israel were more what we call Hebraic Jews and, and more closely tied to the tradition of the elders um, and been more careful about all of these uh, different the dietary laws and ceremonial laws and all of those things. All right. Understand this, we can go a little more specific, and it might be, and I think it's very probable, that at least included within the Hebraic Jews that would be con- considered those of the circumcision, remember that many of the priests turned to Christ. 
So remember that they were deeply steeped in all of this training and enforcing the law and in teaching the law. And they're saying, hey, listen, these Gentiles have not become proselytes to Judaism. You're going and you're preaching. You're making it sound like it's okay not to first be a proselyte to Judaism and then be saved that you can skip those steps and just go straight to being a Christian, to having eternal life, to receiving the Holy Spirit. And so they... They were, but they were Christian brothers. You know, sometimes when we get persecuted by those from without the body of Christ, we can kind of handle that. We understand that unbelievers are blinded by Satan. We know that they only have one master, and that is their sin nature. And so we expect that kind of opposition from unbelievers. But sometimes it hurts when it comes from brothers and sisters in Christ, even when. They are sincere and well-meaning. And, and the Bible doesn't say that these men were in any way being insincere or, or this was not a power struggle. They simply, hey, Peter, what's going on? Why are you preaching to these uncircumcised Gentiles? This word contended, again, remember, it means uh, to make a distinction. Some in Jerusalem were prepared to argue over the distinctions that they felt must be maintained between Jew and Gentile, even within the church. Now, think back, okay? Because what was it that Peter had the vision that was his beginning of his real understanding that all men, even Gentiles, are, um, are uh, salvation's available for them? It was when the clean and unclean foods were let down in the sheet. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. So think about this. If, if the Jews, Jewish Christians, still felt bound by Jewish food laws, there could be no fellowship with Gentile Christians unless the Gentile Christians were circumcised and could observe Jewish laws. As a matter of fact, there were those later on that Paul confronts in places in his epistles. Galatians actually is one of those uh, books that heavily deals with this. They were called Judaizers, saying you cannot be saved unless you observe all the Old Testament law and you go through all of the ceremonies and all of this. Okay, so they were preaching a faith and works salvation, which is heresy. And Paul has to address that. So understand that this is a big deal. That's why the Holy Spirit had Luke write the whole chapter 10 and this first half of chapter 11 concerning this issue because it was a major issue. And lest you think that this is unrelated to us, hold on a few minutes, I'm going to get to that. But when they say these uncircumcised, in verse 3, they went, they of the circumcision said, this verse 3, thou wentest into men uncircumcised. It's one uh, Greek scholar says this is an indignant expression. This description was the greatest reproach that a Jew had of Gentiles because it emphasized that the Gentiles were excluded from the covenant. But we understand that there is a new covenant, a new testament through the sacrifice of Christ doing away with the ordinances under the Old Testament system. At first, they were more, and it's interesting because look carefully, they said, thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. At first, they were more concerned with what Peter was doing than what God was doing. And sometimes we can be that way too. I think it's interesting in Luke 5, 30 to 32, the Bible says, but there 
scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They criticized Jesus' disciples, really indirectly Jesus himself. Why are you having this fellowship, this close association? Why are you reaching out to these these terrible, wicked people? Hey, folks, we're all terribly wicked. The Pharisees' problem, the scribes' problem, even these of the circumcision, their problem is that they misunderstood who they really were. And folks, we need to realize, as the Apostle Paul wrote, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know how Paul referred to himself? He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Would that we all really, truly esteemed ourselves that way. We're the chiefest of sinners, the least deserving of God's grace and salvation, yet he saved us. And that should open up our hearts with such great grace to not only unbelievers around us, but to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, we're, we're not to hang out with unbelievers to identify with their sinful lifestyle, but to lovingly share the gospel with them. Folks, if we're going to make friends of unbelievers, we've got to spend time with them. If they're going to trust in Christ, there's a certain sense in which as we build a relationship with them, we need to build trust with them. And while we can never condone or compromise living for Christ and abiding by the clear principles and commands of Scripture, we still need to get into the lives of unbelievers and build those relational bridges for the sake of the gospel. So we don't hang out with them to associate with their sinful lifestyle or compromise to be their friend. But we still walk with Christ, but we reach out to befriend them, truly hang out with them so that we can show them the love of Christ, so that they can experience through our testimony the difference that Christ really truly makes, that they may be drawn not to us or to our church, but to Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we get to the practical, all right? So buckle your seatbelts and don't get mad and walk out and leave, all right? But here's the third thing. Don't let your preferences stand in God's way. This was a lesson Peter learned. Look down at verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, look at this, that I could withstand God. It could also be translated, who was I to stand in God's way? Don't allow your preferences to stand in God's way. A preacher friend of mine said this. Now listen, because it sounds a little confusing, but then I'll illustrate it. To hold preferences in a way that is contrary to sharing the gospel in a way that honors God is to stand in his way. Say, what do you mean? Let me repeat the phrase and then I'm going to illustrate it a couple of ways. To hold preferences in a way that is contrary to sharing the gospel in a way that honors God is to stand in God's way. I know of a church. I don't know if that church is still in existence or if they're still practicing this, but I know that at one time this church collected extra skirts and kept them at church. And if a lady visitor came who was wearing pants or shorts or a miniskirt, when ladies of the church would approach her 
and would encourage her to change into that skirt. They tried to do it privately, they tried to do it lovingly, but they insisted on that. And if the lady refused, she was ushered out of the church. Okay. That is holding a preference contrary to sharing the gospel in a way that honors God. Give another illustration. We were in a church in meetings. As a Sunday morning, I'm up on the platform with the pastor. I'm, I'm going to be preaching in a few minutes. This church had a bus ministry. And for the special meetings, especially because it was an evangelistic gospel emphasis, the bus ministry, they had all the bus ministry kids from, from children up through teenagers come in and they had a section reserved in the auditorium for those kids. My wife happened to be sitting with somebody in the church that, that we know and, uh, and these people came, these, these kids came in in front of her and this girl in junior high came in in a miniskirt. Maybe it was the best that she had. Maybe she was dressing up for church. Maybe it's all we had. We don't know and that really doesn't matter. Here's the point of the illustration. This lady whispered to Krista and said, oh, can you believe she would come to church dressed like that? And you know what my wife was? My wife's response was, she's here and she can hear the gospel. Amen. See, am I saying throw away our standards and anything goes? Absolutely not. But I'm saying we shouldn't look sideways or cross-eyed at somebody because they don't come in dressed like most of us do when we come to church on Sunday. We love them. We look beyond the surface and we see a precious soul and we love them with the love of Christ. And we don't hold preferences contrary to sharing the gospel in a way that honors God. Peter had to learn that. And that's a difficult lesson to learn. And again, a lot of this goes back to his upbringing. Am I saying that you just throw off all your upbringing and you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you say forget standards and forget this and forget that application? No, I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. You as a believer are accountable to live a life by faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And as you've been taught the word and the spirit of God has shown you application and how to apply the scriptures to holy living that honors Christ, you can't throw that away. You should not throw that away. You should honor that and follow that, but never in a way that is judgmental to others or would cause you to withhold from sharing the gospel with somebody who's not exactly like you are. Some of you know who Matthew Henry is. So you know this was from almost 200 years ago. But listen to what he says. He said, The imperfect state of human nature strongly appears when godly persons are displeased even to hear that the word of God has been received because their own system has not been attended to. And we are too apt to despair of doing good to those who, yet when tried, prove very teachable. It is the bane and damage of the church to shut out those from it and from the benefit of the means of grace who are not in everything as we are. How can we preach that it is the power of the gospel and the grace of God that saves a soul and transforms a life if we want people to come in the same way we already are? Where's the transformation? You see what I'm saying? Amen. What did Jesus say? Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. 
Jesus associated with very wicked people, never condoned what they did, but he loved them, he spoke the truth to them, he lovingly confronted them in their need, and many of them responded. And he said to the self-righteous Pharisees who dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's just the right way, he said to them, these people get into the kingdom of heaven before you do because you think you're righteous. They knew they were not, and they repented and trusted me. And you are trusting in yourselves that you are righteous. And folks, we who've been saved by the grace of God, who've put our faith in him for his righteousness, who've humbled ourselves before him and acknowledged we are sinners in need of a savior and only he can save us and called out, should we not now continue to walk humbly with our God? And should we not compel those, whether they look and act and speak and smell and whatever else, like us or not, should we not go after them for the sake of the gospel and not allow our preferences to in any way hinder? It's incredible. As I studied this out, the language actually bears it up. Do you really you say, well, God is sovereign. Yes, he is. God is omnipotent. Yes, he is. But Peter said, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you can still stand in his way. Specifically in the context of the sake of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be held accountable before the Lord Jesus Christ for standing in God's way and hindering the gospel in any manner. And number four, glorify God whenever anyone trusts Christ as their Savior. Look at this response in verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace. Literally, they went silent and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. A couple of things. One is that when they became silent, it indicated caution. They're thinking through this. It's, yeah, there's a shock, but remember that these Jewish believers right now are having to process what God had taken Peter through in a series of steps. Remember, God first had Simon go and live in the house of Simon, a tanner. Remember how that was considered unclean by the Jewish people because you're always dealing with dead animals, always being ceremonially unclean, touching carcasses. And so God, that was one step God took him through. And then there was the vision. And then there was the command from the Spirit, go with these men. And then he actually had to enter Cornelius' house. That went contrary to Jewish culture, to go into the house of a Gentile. And then here's all these Gentiles gathered to hear the gospel. And the Spirit said, preach the gospel to them. And he did. And immediately they are saved. But folks, it was hard for him. But aren't you glad he did the hard thing and he obeyed God for the sake of the gospel. And God called him to do something that was difficult that though he expected opposition for doing right, even from his brethren, he still did it. That he did not allow preferences to stand in God's way. And that because of that, not only he, but the Jewish church rejoiced and glorified God in salvation of sinners. One writer said, this is a powerful message demonstrating that the hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were soft enough to be guided and corrected by God. You know, when I read that, I thought, you know what? We all think we are, but I wonder if God did something similar in our lives. How tender, how pliable, 
How teachable would we really be? It is a glorious thing when God's people will allow their prejudices and traditions to be overcome by God's word and God's work. And then this last statement. It is important also to note that these Christians would see all this in accord with the scriptures. They had both the word of the Lord Jesus recorded and the Old Testament promises that Gentiles would come to the Lord through the Messiah. There are many today who look at some work or other and say, look what God is doing. But activity alone isn't enough to validate a work of God. It must also be in line with God's work. word. This work among the Gentiles passed both tests. There are a lot of things going on at a lot of churches and in a lot of ministries, a lot of activity, a lot of things happening. But if what they are doing does not line up carefully with the scriptures, then we need to be very discerning. Again, I'm not talking about being judgmental. And I am saying that whenever God saves souls, we need to rejoice. And you know what? We sometimes disagree with other ministries, though they preach the gospel But we shouldn't question whether those folks through those ministries are getting saved. Only God knows the heart. And we ought to give God the glory as people are saved and their lives are transformed. But at the same time, we need to be discerning that what happens and what we see happening, that we don't fall for the thought that just because it's successful, it is blessed of God. It must be honoring to God according to his word to truly have his blessing. There's a lot of, quote, success out in the secular world among godless people. That doesn't mean it's God's blessing or approval on what or how they're doing it. Okay? So we need to hold the same thing true, especially when it comes to ministry and our lives as believers. We must line up with the word of God. And when we do, and God blesses, we Rejoice. So let the Spirit of God speak to you this morning. In a moment, we will stand, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. We're going to have an invitation, and I'm going to invite you, if you would like to come forward this morning, and you're a believer, and you say, you know what, God spoke to me, that you know what, there's, oh, witnessing to unsafe family is so hard, taking a stand at work is so hard, or reaching out to this person That's just that obnoxious across the street neighbor or whatever. It's just so hard, but I believe God wants me to do it. I might be misunderstood. Oh, God, give me a humble, gracious spirit to do what's right. Uh, Maybe I've got some sort of a preference. Maybe there is some prejudice in my heart, God, that you need to remove. Help me to never allow any preference or prejudice in my life so that there would be a withholding of the gospel through me. Lord, I don't want to stand in your way. Maybe it is that you say, I've, I've faced some opposition and it's discouraged me from continuing to minister as I should. And I need to rely on the grace of God and not become discouraged by that. But though I face that opposition to realize that I'm in spiritual warfare and I should expect that opposition, but to always realize that greater is the Holy Spirit who indwells me than he, Satan, the enemy, the opposing one that is in the world. And may we truly have hearts that are thrilled and joyful whenever we hear of anybody trusting Christ. And let's give God the glory. Shall we bow our heads?
Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne of grace, we're so thankful that that is how it's described, that we can come anytime and all the time to you. We come with confidence, but with humble reverence. And we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And Lord, we need your grace and mercy, not only in our time of need, but to equip us to reach others. Their greatest need is your forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. Lord, as we work within the greater body of Christ outside of Berean, though we're thankful for Berean, and we want to be faithful in serving here, and we want unity within the body of Christ, may we never prefer Berean above the body of Christ. We are merely a part of that greater body. And help us to rejoice in what you're doing through our brethren around the world as people are being saved according to the preaching of the scripture. May we not allow anything in our lives to hinder, whether by testimony or by attitudes of our heart, that will cause us to hinder and stand in your way of what you're doing in this world through the gospel. Lord, it may be even this morning, somebody's watching by way of live stream or is here in our service. And if they were to confront honestly the question where they would spend eternity based on what the Bible says, they would have to acknowledge that they would spend eternity in the second death, in hell. Lord, may this be the day they realize how much you love them through Jesus Christ. May they come to him and put their trust in him personally so that their sins can be forever cleansed and forgiven, so that they can receive eternal life, so that they can become a part of your family for all of eternity. So the work that you're doing in our lives now, we will rejoice and we will glorify you, for you alone deserve the praise and the credit. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand with me? As our musician begins to play our invitation song, our pastors are here in the front. If you'd like someone to pray with you or counsel you, please let them know. If you just want to kneel here and pray before the Lord, you can. I'd encourage you, if your need is to settle the matter of salvation, let one of the pastors know so we can have a prayer partner take you to a private place, sit down and review the wonderful gospel truth with you. It'll only take a few minutes, and you can put your faith in Christ. But you may have some questions. You may be a little confused. Talking to somebody could help you with that. Even now, while our musician is playing our imitation song, would you come? Would you let someone help you? Christians, whether you come forward here and kneel and pray, or whether you just stand there and pray between you and the Lord, but I invite you to respond to the working of the Spirit of God in your heart this morning.